When Oscar Wilde's tour of the Maritimes was being booked, it was not expected to be a success. Despite being heckled in Fredericton and reports circulating around the world that he got arrested in Moncton, the tour was a rousing success. Every date was sold out. Scalpers were selling tickets outside at outrageous prices. He received rapturous receptions, extra dates had to be added, and a wave of people began copying his style across the region. You're listening to Backyard History, the hidden stories that happened in your own backyard. The podcast version of the weekly history column running in newspapers across the Maritimes. With your host and author, Andrew McLean. In 1882, Oscar Wilde was only 27 years old. His greatest works, such as The Picture of Dorian Gray and The Importance of Being Earnest, would not be written for years. His conviction for gross indecency and being sent to prison, which broke him, was still 13 years away. His greatest successes and tragedies still lay ahead of him. So why was there so much public interest in the Maritimes in seeing Oscar Wilde? While he had published some books of poetry already, they generally had not been particularly well received, and were actually mocked by a lot of critics in London, where he had just moved from Ireland only a year before his Maritime tour. So Maritimers were definitely not seeing him for his poetry. Oscar Wilde was, however, seen as the spokesperson for a new movement called aestheticism. Aestheticism was a philosophy that advocated art for art's sake. That art didn't need to exist to push a moral or sentimental purpose, but that art could exist for its own sake. It sought to add beauty to everything, not for any particular purpose, but just for its own sake. It advocated refined sensibilities and tastes, and putting more work into aspects of one's life just to add beauty and art into the everyday, for no reason, but just for its own sake. Aestheticism was quite the contrast to the Victorian sensibilities which dominated the time. Victorian culture was heavily conservative, very moralistic, materialistic, and utilitarian. So this new philosophy was a stark contrast to that dour worldview, and provided people with a whole new way of looking at the world, and of living. And also of fashion, which was indeed a big part of it. So there must have been a lot of longing for something different from Victorian culture at the time, because the ideas of asceticism effectively went viral in England, and then in its colonies in a very short amount of time. And this was despite being frowned upon by the Victorian elites of the time. While Victorian fashion was conservative, dark, and drab, Oscar Wilde stepped out onto the London scene in stockings and shoe buckles, in velvet clothes, and in lacy cuffs and frills, wearing bright colors, which was, to him, one aspect of putting art into everyday life. Despite all of this, in a modern sense, Oscar Wilde was also famous for being famous. The garish clothes, the outrageous ideas, his wit, his charm, and his ability to speak in memorable quotes and sound bites made him a celebrity in a very modern sense in London. 
He would almost certainly be a social media sensation if he were alive today. And his youthful fame might be best understood if it was thought of that way, as a celebrity who kept being reported on because others were reporting on him. Oscar Wilde's fame for his outrageous clothes and his aesthetic beliefs soon reached such a fever pitch in London that W.S. Gilbert, of Gilbert and Sullivan fame, wrote a play that featured a character who closely resembled Wilde, named Bunthorpe. Gilbert described Bunthorpe as a grandiose boob. The play was a big success in London, with Bunthorpe in particular being a sensation. Gilbert decided that he wanted to export his play to New York City and have it run on Broadway. But he was worried the American audiences would not understand it because they weren't familiar with Wilde. Gilbert's producer approached Wilde and convinced him to come to America with an outrageous series of outfits, which included one that was a coat shaped like a cello, and to give a series of lectures on aestheticism. Gilbert's producer's expectation was that Wilde's appearance and ideas would scandalize the Americans and would make the play a big hit. Instead, Oscar Wilde charmed the Americans. After his initial rapturous reception in New York City, more dates were added, which took Wilde all over the United States and Canada, and his tour ultimately lasted an entire year. Oscar Wilde came to the Maritimes after touring through New England, where he had stayed in Boston and used it as a base to speak at smaller towns nearby. Then Wilde crossed the border into a brand new country called Canada, which was only 15 years old then, and he first came to Fredericton, New Brunswick. The Maritimes were relatively prosperous at the time with a thriving economy, and there was an air of optimism about a brighter future sweeping the new country. In these heady and optimistic times, a remarkable amount of interest was paid to the arts by the average Maritimer. With many people from all walks of life attending lectures on art and education in their spare time, in both big cities and small towns alike. Fredericton was the first place Oscar Wilde reached in the Maritimes, where he spoke to a sold-out crowd at City Hall. Before that though, he stayed in the city's finest hotel, which was the Barker House Hotel, where he met several reporters while he was, according to the local papers, quote-unquote, reclining in an elegant leisure, on a sofa, amidst a profusion of furs, sipping a cup of tea, and nibbling quite ordinarily at a bit of toast. In his uh, interviews, he explained to the reporters the philosophy aesthetics. The newspaper continued, quote-unquote, but his pet subject, art, was recalled by his glancing at a modest-appearing parlor stove that gave out its blazing heat in the room upon which he made a most violent onslaught, characterizing it as, aesthetically speaking, an unparalleled monstrosity, a black-headed horror, and an unpunished crime. That night, speaking at City Hall, Oscar Wilde began his lecture by still complaining about the ugly stove in his hotel room, calling it, quote-unquote, fetsooned with garlands of black-leaded roses and surmounted by funeral urns. All of a sudden, he was interrupted. 
A crowd stormed in, shouting, stomping, and heckling him. Fredericton was at the time home to New Brunswick's wealthy. And it was home to the province's only school for higher education called King's College, which is now the University of New Brunswick. King's College was seen by many to be a highly restrictive and sectarian institution, one which was thought to only admit the sons of the wealthiest men in the province, and even then only if they were Protestant and Anglophone. The reformist-minded Premier Albert Smith railed against the privileges of those who attended the school, once calling it an enclave for the sons of the richest men in the province. So, soon after Wilde began his lecture in Fredericton, a large group of students from King's College loudly marched in, interrupting the lecture. They were all carrying canes and bouquets of flowers, not as a tribute, but as an exaggerated parody of Oscar Wilde's style. The students caused a scene. They were stomping, they were shouting, they were mocking Oscar Wilde, and then even argued with him by getting up on the stage. Uh, even worse, it seemed that the Fredertonians in the audience were largely supportive of the students. There was one exception. There was a young woman that got mentioned in the papers as having been so outraged by the students' behavior that she drew pictures of the offending students and submitted them to the police demanding they be arrested. Generally, the opinion in Fredericton was that they didn't quite like Oscar Wilde. He had worn this blue velvet suit to the lecture, and a local newspaper described it as the type that was used by the Salvation Army people to draw a crowd. They also didn't care for Oscar Wilde's famous flowery and dramatic speaking style, and when he used the line, I have seen wallpaper which must lead a boy brought up under its influence to a career in crime, the audience booed him. Oscar Wilde, though, seems to have taken his poor reception in Fredericton in stride, saying of the students, quote unquote, they were all highly intelligent looking boys, all of them. They had their fun, and I did not mind them at all. The local newspaper, called the Fredericton Evening Capital, wrote with a disapproving tone about Wilde. People found themselves actually face to face with the stocking and shoe buckles, the lace cuffs and the frills, about which so much had been written. However, the paper had to grudgingly admit that some of his points were sound, quote unquote. The good common sense which marked the lecturer's address was pleasing contrast to the impression of effeminacy rather than beauty which was left by his costume. Oscar Wilde, for his part, is said to have remarked that the best thing about Fredericton was the river, a very mild dig at the Fredertonians. After the poor reception in the province's capital city, Oscar Wilde continued to St. John, where he stayed at the Royal Hotel, which was between King and Germain Streets, and was demolished in the 1970s. He ended up speaking at the Mechanics Institute to a sold-out crowd, which was filled beyond capacity, with people standing in the aisles to get a chance to hear him speak. Scalpers outside the venue sold tickets for as much as $3, which was an exorbitant sum of money at the time, especially when the face value of the ticket was 50 cents, which was actually considered really expensive for the time too. Wilde's lecture topic that evening 
to the distinctly working class audience in New Brunswick's largest city was on the decorative arts. In contrast to Fredericton's rather snooty reaction to Oscar Wilde, St. Johners were polite and warm towards him. Although it somewhat implied that perhaps the more working class audience didn't quite understand or approve of the message. The St. John newspaper took a swipe at the poorly behaved audience in Fredericton the night before, saying, quote unquote, We are very cosmopolitan for a small town, and we don't hoot a man because he dresses oddly or butts against our notions of things. In St. John, Oscar Wilde also came across a particular little house, a Queen-style cottage, which he said delighted him beyond measure and reminded him of an art gallery in London. So he received a very warm welcome in St. John, but after he left, he was the target of a letter to the editor campaign where some people had complained about him, calling him, amongst other things, a conceited coxcomb and the knight errant of bad taste. But by the time those were published, Oscar Wilde was already in Nova Scotia. First, he spoke at the Academy of Music in Amherst, where he remarked that he'd never spoken in so small a place before. He was referring to the town, not the venue. It was later said, though, that he affected the people of Amherst's sensibilities for some times after in regards to flowers. Flowers being beautiful, short-lived, and ultimately not serving all that much practical purpose were something that aestheticism was a fan of. Oscar Wilde talked up flowers in his speeches and reporters interviewing him in his hotel room often mentioned large bouquets of flowers that he had on display. A newspaper report later said that so far as the outward and visible effects of Mr. Wilde's teachings have become apparent in our social life, they have manifested themselves in an exuberance of flowers. Next, Oscar Wilde spoke at the YMCA Hall in Truro, and then he went on to Halifax. In Halifax, the lieutenant governor sent a carriage to meet Oscar Wilde and personally took him on a tour of the city. He was met with great fanfare and acclaim in Halifax, and he stayed at the Waverly Hotel, which is still standing, at 1266 Barrington Street today. He delivered a lecture on decorative arts on his first night in Halifax, in which he advocated that art be recognized and sought to be added into the daily lives, as opposed to something that was put in a museum or reserved for a special occasion. He said to the audience, The arts are made for life, and not life for the arts. The next day, he delivered a lecture to another sold-out audience about the house beautiful, in effect the importance of decorating one's home. The second lecture was considered by the media to be the better of the two, and it caused quite a stir and quite a fair amount of influence in Halifax. Throughout his stay in Halifax, he was immensely popular. He had a stream of well-wishers and reporters wishing to speak with him. And then after that, he went to Charlottetown, which provided quite a contrast to his reception in Halifax. He managed to get absolutely savaged by the local newspaper called the Daily Patriot who said that he did not appear to us to be anything remarkable in either his dress or his personal appearance or his lecture, and certainly not enough to warrant one-tenth a part of what has been written about him. The newspaper then went on to complain about his socks. They said they were decidedly baggy, 
and not at all different from what we have seen on other young fellows. Um, they also didn't care for his hair, saying, Mr. Wilde wears his hair long, but we saw not long ago a Quebec pilot with longer and a handsomer head of hair. Just like Fredericton's newspaper, the Charlottetown paper complained that he was effeminate. They said, Mr. Wilde is too effeminate in his appearance to be a handsome man, and he is too masculine to pass for a good-looking woman. From there, Oscar Wilde went on to Moncton, where he was greeted at the train station by a crowd of well-wishers who took him on a tour of their city. He then ended up speaking to 400 people at the Methodist Church. However, newspapers like the Montreal Gazette reported another story of what happened. They said he had a sad experience in Moncton being arrested by the YMCA management. It seems that the Moncton YMCA had sent a telegram to Wilde soon after his first appearance in New York City, inviting him to appear in Moncton. Wilde had replied that he was not available on the dates they had suggested, because he was in America, and he tried to reschedule. It seems that the Moncton YMCA did not reply to Oscar Wilde. Months after this, when Oscar Wilde did appear in Moncton, the situation had escalated to a remarkably bizarre degree, with the managers of the YMCA, who were named A.J. Williams and M.J. Hubley, hunting down Oscar Wilde in Moncton. They had showed up with the police and the lawyer at his lecture at the Methodist Church to try and have Oscar Wilde arrested for breach of contract. The mood during Oscar Wilde's lecture was described as tense. The confrontation escalated, and Oscar Wilde was threatened that unless he gave $100 to the YMCA, quote-unquote, something unpleasant would happen. Oscar Wilde, for his part, dismissed the threats from the YMCA, and it seemed that he wasn't particularly concerned. Ultimately, it turned out that the YMCA managers had badly overstepped their authority, and they actually got reprimanded for their behavior later. While the YMCA never did get the $100, the people of Moncton, who were largely on Oscar Wilde's side, raised $35 for the YMCA to placate their surprisingly aggressive managers. Regardless though, a very different story was reported all over North America, that Oscar Wilde had been arrested for breach of contract in Moncton and had to pay a $100 fine. None of that was actually true, there was no fine, and there was no arrest. But then, just like now, it seems that the facts of the matter would not stop a salacious rumor about a famous celebrity from sweeping the world. After that, Oscar Wilde returned to St. John again for an extra date that had been added because he was so popular there. It would be the last lecture of his North America tour. Again speaking to a largely working class audience, at the 1,000-seat Mechanics Institute, he developed a lecture on the importance of making the inside of one's house attractive and artful when decorating its interior. The audience was very appreciative, and St. John still being the cosmopolitan small town, there were no reports of hooting. From there, Oscar Wilde left the Maritimes and returned to New York City. Though he told St. Johners at his last lecture that he would be traveling onwards to Australia and Japan on his tour, 
but his plans fell through and he returned to England. He continued to reach giddy career high after high for years after before his fall from grace at the peak of his fame and literary prowess, ultimately leading to his early death at the age of only 46 years old. He never would return to the Maritimes, nor would he ever make it to Australia and Japan. That was Backyard History with your host, Andrew McLean. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for another hidden story that happened in your own backyard. Produced by Jordan Lozier.